Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today, we continue to talk about Cymbeline. Make sure to check us out at our new home at shakespearepod.com and over at our new network website, ghostlightmedia.net. And now, on with the show. Good beer. It is a good beer. It was a little different than what I was expecting at first. So Sam Smith's Teddy Porter, though this is this is the old Tadcaster. This is one of their classic beers. Oh, we're beers. like we're a podcast, but they're a Tadcast. Yeah, it's the Tadcaster for our podcasters. For Zan and Carlin's wedding, I used a a clone of their yeast for the wub 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 because Zan is wub wub wubby. Yeah, loves the EDM. Yeah. They love uh, when the bass drops, and they loved that name for that beer. I actually named it for them. Um, but it was, an, it was an oatmeal cream stout that I did and fermented, uh, well, Rick and I did, because Rick and I brew better beer together no matter what. It's like, we get, even if we're just brewing in proximity to each other, our beer turns out better. Um, but it was, uh, did 10 gallons of the Wub Wub Wub. When you and Rick were at the height of brewing, my beer cost was so much lower. Well, I mean, we still brew a lot. I've got gallons of beer at my house. But there was a time in which we were drinking more of your brewed beer than we were drinking... Anything else? Yeah. Well, it's just... it's We don't bottle as much anymore. We keg more, and that is harder to transport. You just need... you have a kegerator yet? I've got one... Well, I've got a fridge to turn into a kegerator out in the garage. Nice. I just haven't converted it yet. Get it done by Halloween. You got the money? No. It's funny. Uh, I work at a bank and I make no money. I need to make I need I need some more taps before I can You make more money than I do now. I don't think so. Um I need some more taps before I can convert it because otherwise I don't have I don't have enough shanks and taps to convert the uh Oh I can give you a shank. Yeah, you would shank me. Um, but anyway, I'd shank you on your flanker. So, uh, but I did, uh, we did 10 gallons, and we fermented five of it with a dry Irish stout yeast, and we fermented five of it with the West Yorkshire yeast, which is the Samuel Smith's yeast, um, and both individually were great beers. Say, like... Literally, we we brewed the 10 gallons together and then separated it into five-gallon batches for fermentation. And then we blended them back together. So we took two and a half gallons of the dry Irish uh, fermented version and blended it with two and a half gallons of the old West Yorkshire version and the same vice versa. And together, it was just... Like, it's probably, it might still be the favorite stout, my favorite stout that I've ever brewed. All right. So, speaking of stouts. Yes. Yeah. I got nothing. All right. So, let's go on to our podcast then. Cymbeline. Cymbeline. I believe the word is cymbeline. No, but symbolism. 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 All right, so uh, this is the Shakespeare podcast. My name is Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenley. Stop it. I'm Ryan Hatfield. I'm Cassie Greenley. I'm Brock. I'm, I'm Chase Greenley. <laughs> I'm Brian Fantana. I'm Brock. <laughs> and Ryan's gonna have to stand in the corner in a minute. <laughs> 
All right. Today's all of today's recordings have been very silly, and I my eyes are still hurting. I think it's, say, well, it's only been one so far. Everything we've recorded. I'm has sorry. Been was silly. I wrong? No. But this play is silly, and so it fits. So but we've got a lot of pins on that wall to go through, though. I really want to direct this play. This play, no, I think this play would be a lot of fun to direct. I, I would, I would be in this play. Pretty underrated. Like I was surprised because going into it, I was like, "Oh, Cymbeline, nobody talks about it. I don't know anything about it. It must not be very good." Everybody I've talked to about since I figured out it wasn't measure for measure, Chase. <laughs> I love finger guns over when I, here. When I went fucking to- chase with his finger guns. I so behind the scenes. There is a group chat, and Beth was like, hey, which one are we doing? And they said, pretty sure it's measure for measure. It's a measure for measure question mark. <laughs> then my phone updated and dropped all of my messenger. So I just took Chase as fact. And once I signed back into messenger, I was like, what? I told no. Beth yesterday that we were doing Cymbeline. Oh no. The thing I sent Cymbeline into the group chat yes. almost immediately after Chase yes. said measure. But Beth for measure. missed that. But I missed it. Yeah, because Chase said measure for measure, and I like picked up my phone and I looked at it and I went, like, nope, nope, that's wrong. I didn't but Beth didn't know we weren't doing measure for measure until yesterday when yeah. I told her while we were picking apples. I was like, huh, measure for measure. I haven't even started it yet. And he goes, <laughs> Well, that's good. Yeah, it is. Good. I was like, that's good because we're doing Cymbeline. I'm like, well but, but I was kind of expecting it to be a little bit of a dud, and I actually really enjoyed well, it. Well what because what it is is it takes it's 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 the mashup play. It takes a yeah. lot of elements from other plays. There's some Winner's Tale. There's some... Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. There's some Twelfth Night. There's some... There's some Othello. Othello. Yeah, there's, like, a, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in here. So I... In the, in the need to read it quickly, I downloaded um, you, an, an audio book that was done by Boris Karloff, who was playing uh, Cymbeline in it. So Boris Karloff was hardly in it then. Yes, but Boris Karloff, so the Grinch was still like the Grinch was in there doing simulating, which is fantastic. Yeah. So, so this conversation relates to one of the pins, which is how many Shakespeare's are in this Shakespeare. So I don't know that this is something we. I'm going to say thirty, because. <laughs> but I think that if you continue to look at it, you're going to see. Actually, pretty much everything but the histories in there. But then the histories are still there. With like um, when we see those quick changes between uh, Rome and Britain, with nondescript Britain, until you're like, we're going to Wales. Where in Wales are we going? A very specific, a very specific place. place Where in are Wales. we coming from? On the Welsh coast. We are coming from all of Britain. <laughs> we're, what do well, you mean? Which is funny because Britain is Wales, but not but not at that time. Yeah, but if you're talking Britain, you're talking Wales because that's where the Britons are. There are no Britons in so, England. We just did Richard II, right? So it wasn't until Richard II that Wales stopped being an independent country. Yeah, but Wales was where all the Britons were forced with the Anglo-Saxon invasion. So then you're talking about a peoples and not about a country. Well, there was no country of Britain at the time. Well... The, if, the once and future king is not coming from Britain. He's coming from Wales. He's coming from Britannia. 
not Brittany, which is France. Which I well, understand you don't understand. No, I know. Where, I look. Is. I know where France. Uh, trust me. You were like Rome's across the channel. I'm like, no. Well, that's no. That's. Well, that was because of the fucking joke about her being down the street. I know. This is funny to me. But so Britannia. I know where Brittany is, and I know Britannia. So Wales isn't part of Britannia. But it is. It's not. But regardless. Arthur, King of the Britons. Regardless. I didn't elect you. Um, some... I don't even know what Cramp. you guys are doing. <laughs> some watery tart. <laughs> distributing swords from a lake. Okay, it's not friends. The fucking friends. System of government. cannot be an hour and 42 Fine, alright, you win. Alright, fine, Cassie. Fun stealer. This is what happens when we do this on a, on a work night. I'm, however, on vacation, and Ryan clearly doesn't work tomorrow either. Hey, I don't work Tuesdays. So, okay. But I don't even know what point we were trying to make when you two derailed us with talking so about many? Well, okay. We're talking about how many plays yeah, are many, in this many, play. So, the the jumping back and forth. How much Shakespeare is There's a lot of the trad, a lot of the histories where we're jumping back and forth so quickly between travel points that we made fun of that often then, too. Not as often as... It happens. It happens way more in this play, but it's a very, like, Henry V. It happens a lot, where you're jumping back and forth between England and France. If you, like, let's say you were doing um, some sort of Shakespeare festival, or, uh, like, a series of Shakespeare festivals, and you were able to get a whole bunch of the comedies in, and you threw this one at the end, you could probably be making fun of a good ten plays. Yeah, and I think... You wouldn't even have to change sets. No. Like, you could recycle all of the sets. But the the reality and is, costumes. though, that a lot of story elements that Shakespeare puts in his plays are shared across multiple stories. Yeah. So we're talking about, like, oh, there's the Twelfth Night element because Imogen dresses up as a boy. Well, that's not just Twelfth Night. That's no. Merchant of Venice. And that well, that's I, actually, like I, think, like, I think Merchant of Venice more so with this play. So yeah. Specifically, because we have the love bet. We have the we have the loyalty bet more than it's not a love bet it's a loyalty bet and the same thing in Merchant of Venice you have the tell the people bet, that you're yeah. dead when you're not really dead to convince them to act differently which, which is much much ado which is much ado and Winner's Tale possibly and well I think I think I think bet. the the most ones that come up to me personally with with this play Winner's Tale mm-hmm. Comedy of Errors no not Comedy of Errors displaced I, I, displaced brothers. No, but it's nah, not the same. No. It's not no. There's not right, a mistaken Winter's identity Tale. thing. Right, but, right. but Winter's Tale, Merchant of Venice, Romeo and Juliet, Othello, and Othello yeah. are the four that really are in this play. Well, and I got the Lear vibe. Just and there is a there is a bit of a Lear vibe to it. It's not. It's not vibe. Lear vibe. And I'm and I'm mostly looking at the beginning of the play. Because of... Strong-willed daughter in contention with her father. Yeah. And that's where the Lear vibe comes in. It's not like a... The things that that Imogen says, though, are the things that you wish that Miranda would fucking say. Yes. Well, yes. Yeah. Very true. Very true. And it's not... It's not... It does not have the same qualities as Lear for the most part, but it does have a little bit of a Lear vibe in the beginning. And there is definitely some wonderfully long uh, monologues that are kind of like to nothing. Yeah. So I'll give you on that. Um, but for the most part, those those the other four that I mentioned are the four that really come across. In that this that have really and you know what? strong shared plot. I elements. will give you yes. that uh, Guido and Cordelia have the same like 
I'm not backing down and I'm not changing my stance. And I will, I do not give a fuck if you I care understand about that, that I'm going to lose everything, but no. Yeah. This so, is okay. this is me okay. and this is my shit. So there's a lot of parallels that are going on here and it makes this play Maybe if I had if this was the first Shakespeare I ever read, I'd be like, "What? This is crazy." But because I've read all of these others, because we did so Once many Once you've done Winter's Tale, this isn't crazy. I'm really glad that we kept putting this off and putting this off and putting this off. <laughs> well, because you appreciate it more now. <laughs> Cassie's so mad. She is because I mentioned Winter's so, Tale and I don't know. I was not I'm negative to me. I'm pretty sure but. I'm going to push to do King Lear next. And then Cassie can make fun of my favorite. Uh, we, can't do, we can't do Lear next because we have, to, we have to pull from the left side to even things out. Of our chart on the wall of plays we haven't we have to We have to pull from the left side of the chart to even things out. So it's got to be okay. one of those five plays. Sure. sure. Um, but. You can't move Lear over there. <laughs> I know where Lear belongs. But but we've already done this one, didn't we? No, no, you dumb dumb. <laughs> no, no, I just went and saw it. Never mind. I'm not a dumb dumb. I just spent a lot of time breaking down Hamlet because I just watched it. Um, but, but no, I, anyway, yeah. yes. There's but a I, lot of elements of really. There, there are are strong resonances of other of more shows, major Shakespeare it, shows. It makes it feel like I. It makes it feel familiar. In, like a way that already is, in a way that is comforting. Yeah. It's not a familiarity that seems derivative. It's a familiarity that seems welcoming. Like, I feel like it makes it more accessible because there are so we, many elements. Honest, honestly, this is a Shakespeare play that I think that you could really do to... Hey, oh, hey, okay. So you don't like Shakespeare or you don't get Shakespeare or you, you know... let This is... How about we use this as a Shakespeare primer? You yeah. try this one on for size. This one... It's got a lot of elements. There's a lot of crazy shenanigans going on. There are some really funny characters. Well, and that's and that's why it becomes like originally maybe marketed as a tragedy. And if you look at it from Cymbeline's perspective, maybe it is. Yeah. But that's why later and more modern audiences, more modern critiques of it, move it to a comedy. Yeah. Or a romance, but the thing is, is it doesn't follow the rules of the romance. There's no way it happens inside three days. But there's an indistinct timeline. Yeah. Um, that's the only reason I won't put it with the romances, but it is an, an, an indistinct timeline is part of the problem. Um, but they also have to travel between Rome and Britain, so there's no way it takes three days. Well, uh, flu powder? Yeah, they're obviously uh, apparating. I, it took me a second to think of the word. Yeah. So there's, I I really do think that part of the reason I I really enjoyed listening to this was because of how many other plays. I'm like, oh man, that's part of that. That's part of that. That's part of that. Oh, that's yeah. funny because of this. So it felt very much like a fan. Shout out. It's like a fan a fan fiction Shakespeare wrote I, of his own place. I just looked it up. It looks like it was originally performed around 1611. Yeah, that's which, the, which the makes which makes sense for it being not the latest or the last. But that's like the earliest crazy. known production date of yeah. it would be 1611. And, and published in the first folio of 1623, so all that good stuff. But it makes sense if 1611 he's already done a lot of the comedies. So yeah. he's reworking his already done stuff. 
He's like, this was really popular. They liked this element. Yeah. And, it, and he's, cher- he's cherry picking shit out of his own shows and writing basically yeah. his own fanfic of himself. And he's, I mean, there's clearly a couple of people he's like, we got to get a character in for this guy. Let's make Clouton. Let's. Let me make Clouton the asshole, dude. Yeah, and you can play him. So, whoever Ben Affleck's character was. And yeah, and that's that's yeah, Clouton is for yeah. Ben Affleck. Yeah. Well, and I think that but that, that idea of what genre does this fall into gets into another pin that we have, which is why is it called Cymbeline? Yeah, yeah. yeah bring Cymbeline it over. Let's is, do that one. is not in this play very much to be the titular character. And he is a historical figure, and that's one of the reasons that it is lumped in with the tragedies originally. It's a tragedy, but not a history. Because Cymbeline is based off of a real British king. It's not a romance or a comedy, either. No, it's definitely a comedy. A lot of Shakespeare's comedies are not necessarily romances. Comedies. Yeah, no, it doesn't end in a marriage. The marriage had already happened. Mm-hmm. But it does. It, it ends in the the legitimizing of a marriage. Yeah, the reuniting of a family. It ends with everybody feeling good for a tragedy. There are other tragedies that we've done that I'm like, wow. Well, that's why it's not a tragedy. To he me. really served up all of his, those people in that pie. That's I terrible. Was, I was talking to one of my students about Romeo and Juliet, and this student was telling me that they had an English teacher who swore that Romeo and Juliet was not a tragedy. It was, by definition, a comedy. Because, and the reasoning was, because in a tragedy, at least according to their definitions, in a tragedy, the main character doesn't get what they want. But in Romeo and Juliet, the main characters do get what they want. No, they don't. They die. Well, I know. I'm not saying that it's valid, but I'm saying it's an English I want to talk to this English teacher. <laughs> I know. I hope okay. you listen to this podcast because you're wrong. So, but, but I think what if that's we go an interesting of, definition of comedy no, and, versus tragedy. And, 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 that's and fair. if we go off of that definition, Cymbeline, being the titular character, does not get what he wants. No, but he does. Well, he gets his, his he gets his sons back. back. He gets his daughter to be happy at the and not hate him anymore. At the beginning of the play, the things that he desired was not to have his sons back. It wasn't an option that he thought was possible. Well, no, because he's like like I said, he, this guy's just waiting for CPS to show up. Right. He wants his daughter to marry this other guy, but because his, his well, that's because him. his queen is fucking. And instead, his wife dies. Yeah, he gets his kids back, but his kids are. Killed his other son. Yeah, but his wife's a bitch. And that Clouton was a real asshole. He was an asshole. But uh, the act before that, Cymbeline's going, I wish Queen was here and Clouton was here to help me out with all of this. What's because he was so wrapped around her finger that he didn't know any better. She was an evil stepmother. Yes. Dealing in poisons for fragrances. Yeah. For fragrances. Fragrances. And just, so, but no, like, that, like I think, I think, if, like down. maybe you look at it then, and it's some kind of a tragedy. I, but it's not a tragedy. This should be a comedy. Like the only person who dies in this show is Clotman, and he deserved it. He had a comment. and we're laughing at it. But he what? ran into his knife <laughs> ten times in his neck. <laughs> yeah. No, we didn't. And a very neat head just fell off, man. I just backhanded his head off. Guinevere totally killed him. 
And yeah, he, ask he anyone. Fucking, ask Guinevere. Like, okay. yeah. just owns that shit. It's like, no, no. He no, I... and like annoying the crap out of me, so I killed him. He was a dickhead, so I cut his head off. I'm glad that Merlion doesn't work on those principles. You're lucky I can't. I am. You have swords, and I have a neck. That's true. It would end poorly. Yeah, but I like you. I like you too. All right, what else we got? Um. But I'm I'm still calling Cymbeline is a is a comedy. So let's go. I really like the Cymbeline as an adaptation of Snow White. So because that was honestly when I started reading it. And as soon as we have the queen who's like, I'm not like other stepmothers. And, and then, then the she sleeping was like, potion. and then I want this potion to make someone appear as if they're dead. My brain immediately went not to any other Shakespeare. It went to the Snow White story. So the only problem with that is when Snow White actually came into play. Snow White is a fairy tale, which means it is an oral tradition tale. So right. Which you're means- talking about when it was recorded by people, but it... Right. We're, t- I mean, we're talking about the recording by the Brothers Grimm is yeah. like, is after Shakespeare yeah. wrote this play. So, yes. we're, yeah. so we're talking like 1800s? But oral tradition-wise... It would have been, been around, around for... It had to have been around before that. Now it's a Germanic tale. So that means... Actually, uh, generally, most of the Grimm's fairy tales are... Hang on. ...are Germanic in origin. Or like this might not be. I could, I could be wrong. Um, but... But the the fact that it was committed to paper by the Brothers Grimm in in the 1800s does not mean that it didn't exist as a story, trope, fairy tale, oral tradition prior to that. All right. So, according to my quick research, Snow White is based on the life of a German countess born in 1533. So, absolutely could have been. Could have been. Because, uh... Because it would have been something that was 15, happening, 1533, happening in the time yep. frame. It still exists in the time frame and German-based. All makes sense. Like I thought. So, but the the idea of the stepmother who is poisoning the stepdaughter who's not doing what she wants. What she wants, yep. Is, it, I mean, it's more than just Snow White, though. Because well, there's no dwarves. Cinderella. The first literary version of the tale... Is recorded around 1500, but thought to have first been told at least 200 years earlier. All right. Okay, so, so we've got so we've got absolutely. some conflicting some conflicting research there because you're saying of, 1500s slash earlier, and we're talking and Beth did some quick research. Let's, let's a countess it, in Germany in 1533. Let's call it. But either way, still before Shakespeare. She's got a juried book. I've got Wikipedia, so let's go off of the. Okay, jury but that, that's fine. But I'm, you know, just depending on where the origin could go, there's always a lot of things that could be, you know, can go one way or the other. Right. On so that kind of way, thing. Either way, absolutely, absolutely. Before Shakespeare's be. time was all we really needed. Yeah. So there is definitely a possibility that he heard this story, either the original origin fairy tale or the supposed German mm-hmm. countess. 60 years or whatever before he wrote this play or 70 years before he wrote this play um, that inspired him in some way to to put that into one of his plays. So, yeah, it absolutely reads Snow White. It does. And it read less like Snow White the longer that I read it. Well, there weren't any dwarves. 
Yeah, but there were magic people living in the woods. Yeah, that's true. So she there goes, were magic brothers in the woods. She yeah. there's only two of them. She but still, it's a dangerous situation where somebody wants to kill her. Goes into the woods, is given and a finds secret. protectors. Yeah, finds someone protectors. takes her into the woods to kill her, and then decides not to. Right. And instead has her flee. Her and she finds some protectors in the her woods. Her stepmother has given her poison via a third party yep. to take, which puts her into a deep sleep. She, I mean, she's not roused by a kiss or anything. Yeah, but that, that which, makes it less rapey. Well, actually, okay. So going off on the fairy tale tangent for a second. In the earlier, more original versions of Snow White, she was not woken with a kiss that was put into versions of the story later. The prince stumbled into the clearing where she was in a glass box, dead. Yeah, the glass case. Yeah. And said, I need that glass box with that dead child girl in it to decorate my foyer. Yeah, he wanted I'm to take to, it home. I am going to treat this as my most treasured possession. You dwarves need to give it to me. And as they were hauling the coffin down the mountainside, it jostled the piece of apple out of her throat and she woke up. She woke up because At it dislodged. At said, yeah. oh, you're alive. I'll marry you then. So... Which is creepier in a different wait, way. Wait, do I have to marry all of the Halloween decorations that I break? Yes. Okay. That's the law. That's awful. But, so, that true love's kiss, so I just watched the, I showed my children Sleeping Beauty mm-hmm. for the first time today. I don't think he still hasn't seen Sleeping Beauty. Well, it just came out of a Disney vault again. The vault? Yeah. And I remembered, I picked it up. So I showed it to him for the first time, and I, I know that I don't enjoy, like, the reason I love that has nothing to do with Sleeping Beauty. I could, and everything to do with the dwarves. I could give two, there's no dwarves in Sleeping Beauty. I could give two oh, shits no about Aurora. It's about Maleficent. It's about the fairies. For it's me, about the fairies. Yeah. It's about the all four. All four fairies, yeah. Well, but Maleficent is actually the boring part of that movie. I love her. She's my favorite part. And it has to do with... I like Periwinkle. Good for you. Her name's not Periwinkle. It's Meriwether. Whatever. <laughs> um, but it has... The grumpy to- one. That's my favorite. It has. I would argue that the grumpy one is Flora because she <laughs> needs to have her way, uh, and she is. No, I like Meriwether because she's the saucy one that's grumpy as well. They're all grumpy, really, if you think about it. Not fauna. Fauna's, Fauna's not fine. grumpy. She's just like I'm gonna make a fucking cake. But so, Flora, Meriwether, and Maleficent are all grumpy. You are continuing to distract me from the fact that the reason I, I know, like I'm doing it on purpose. The reason I like Maleficent and the reason that I like Imogen. Mm-hmm. Has everything to do with one of our perma tags, which is agency. Agency of, of women. I, I love Imogen. She's great. She knows what she wants. She got it, and every time she is thwarted, she still works her way back to what she wanted. Even when she says things like, "Just fucking kill me. I'd rather die." If you're gonna come at me like this, then fucking, Just fucking do it. Kill me. Just fucking kill me. I want to die. No, and she's she's baller. She's just she doesn't take shit, and she's gonna get what she wants. She wakes up next to the dead body of what she thinks is her husband. She cries for a long time, and then somebody comes and finds her and says, "Do you want to come and work for me?" And she says, "Okay." So she doesn't just leave her life to die right there. No, the she way, continues. Way, she tries to continue Ju- her life. Juliet, waking up in the same position, says... Fucking guts herself like a fish. A no, no sweet remnant. Or sausage jungle gem, depending. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The, 
She, mur- she MDKs herself. She MDKs herself. Where did death kill? She MDK. No, and that's... 187. Where did death kill? Yeah. It's a 187. Well, and, and if you think about the other... We don't have a lot of women in this play, but we have Imogen, who's... We have two strong have actual women. And Queen, Queen, who has lots of agency. She's running the kingdom, basically. She, she does. She runs shit. Now, I will... Now, she does, she does lose a lot of that when she wastes away because her son is missing. Fair. Or she is put on too much fragrance. Your choice. <laughs> well, no, but it's specifically in the play is that yeah. she has wasted away because she cannot find her son... Dipshit. I. Clodhead. Clodhead. Yeah, we'll call him. Clodhead. Moron boy. But. She can't find her son Trump. Anybody mm, is disagreeing with you. <laughs> but Imogen is a wonderful example of a fully flushed out person. Well, that's, that's also an indication maybe that Trump did write this a little bit later in his writing, too. Trump? You mean Shakespeare? Shakespeare, sorry, I was somebody, caught on my... Somebody needs to drink some water before they I was, ca- I was caught on my Cloten being Trump thing earlier. So, she's great, and what I really like about her is that there's a, a, a slightly mistaken tendency in today's society to assume that a strong woman or a well-written woman character has to be like completely strong, can't be feminine, can't be emotional at all. Right. It can't be human. And that's the yeah. problem. Is like and is so that strong males can't be human, strong females can't be human because it's like if you have any form of weakness, you can't be a strong character. Yeah. Why is that? Why is it that if you shed a tear all of a sudden you can't be strong? Yeah. The fucking patriarchy. And so, Stupid patriarchy. What Let's I crush like, it. Absolutely. Fuck the patriarchy. What eat I like the rich, about fuck Imogen. the patriarchy. I'm not gonna eat the rich. What I like about Imogen... Is it because they're salty? I'm just going to take their stuff. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Continue. Sorry, Cassie. It was 30 seconds. We were fucking the patriarchy. <laughs> what I like about Imogen is that she does show the full range of emotions. She gets upset. She pines. She, you know... She's a human mourns. fucking being. She shows grief. You know, she makes mistakes. She makes not great judgment calls a couple of not times. all of her choices are are not perfect. Not all of them are good, but she has choices, and she is and able she makes to enact. Yeah. She has choices. She makes choices, and she keeps moving forward. Yeah, so. and I, that's why I I really like. No, her. and she's actually, up like there I, right now, among some of my favorite. No, I'm really really impressed because this I have not read this play in a long time. Like I read through all of Shakespeare's works a long time ago, and a lot of them I have skipped since then on my semi-annual read-through of the, the the complete works. And I this is one of them that I'm like, you know, I read it probably when I was like 19, 20, and then I've basically skipped It's your Northanger Abbey, huh? Whatever the fuck that means, sure. It's your Northanger Abbey. Northanger Abbey is one of the most superior of Jane Austen's. Okay, well, this is a Shakespeare podcast, say, this is, and this, this is not ostentatious. We're due for another episode. We are due for another episode of Austin. We still need to. We still need to do our episode of that. Chase and I do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> um, but um, no, but, I agency of women. I think in this, but play is this well play, yes, actually, really good for that. Um, the queen, like I said, she loses a lot of her agency when she starts to pine away over her dickhead son. I don't think that's losing her agency. 
Well, she no longer makes any decisions. She no longer she so, no longer runs shit. But it shows a humanity. To oh, her. she does. She has a humanity. But I mean, and if that's all she was was just this one note, but she's not. She's multiple notes. Most of them are about killing puppies. Most of them are bad. A lot of but, bad notes, but she still has notes. She is in this play as little as Cymbeline himself. But she is way more. She has way fact, more impact on this play if, than Cymbeline if does. If we didn't need. This is another thing about Agent. But you can't call this play Queen because she didn't even get a fucking name. Yeah, right. Well, and here, if you let me finish my sentence. Sorry. So, if. And this has to do with agency. If. We didn't need her to take, if we didn't need Imogen to take the potion to fall asleep to wake up next to who she thinks is her dead husband, we wouldn't need the queen at all. She serves almost no other purpose. I disagree, though. She pushes forward a little bit of the plot, but that plot could easily have been pushed forward by Cymbeline or another member. I know, but she has actually had her hands in everything that happened bad to Cymbeline. Throughout the entire play and before the play. Like, she's the reason that he... Almost all of it happens off screen. Yeah, true. But she's the reason he banishes Belarus. Um, and so, therefore, Belarus steals... You don't need it to be on screen for it. No, and I agree. I agree. I'm not saying... So, that... and and when we're looking at the agency in the of women, it's... Can you have replaced or just completely deleted that character and it made no difference? Other than that draft... Yeah, you probably well, could you could actually anywhere. you could actually pretty much do this play without Cymbeline or the Queen. I think you still need Cymbeline. Well, I mean his name's up on the fucking well, big yeah. board, but <laughs> I mean, let's try to do Titus without Titus. <laughs> well, Titus is actually integral to his own play. Cymbeline is not really. Alright, let's move on. What else have we got? Um, so these two are connected. I wrote, you know, this idea of supernatural connection, but also the inherent otherness of royalty. Because that gets made a lot of with the well, two brothers in the woods. Yeah. There, there is always another, like we, I really hate to use the word otherness with royalty, but yeah, there is a differentiation. Differentiation? Thanks. That's the word you meant. Namiology. <laughs> Namiology. So, there is always an otherness because royalty is ordained by God. They're supposed to be better. They're supposed to be um, noble. They're supposed to be all of these things. But that is more overt in this play than in many others. Yeah, and actually ties into a little bit of the supernatural with this one, too. Well, often we see royals interacting only with other nobility. We see, for instance, Prince Hal. There is a distinct otherness to him. But it's not quite the same. It's not a royal otherness with him, though. It's a little different. What what happens for me, at least, in reading this play, is that it seems like every single time we get a scene with the brothers in the woods, there's some mention made of, look how nobly they act, even though they've been born and raised in baseness. And you know, like they they maintain a noble quality, a a royal quality. Okay, same thing with Ganymede in As You Like It. Yes, Phoebe always is commenting on how noble he is. 
how graceful he is. Well, and you get you get that too because they they automatically are drawn to Fidele. Mm-hmm. For how wonderful she is. How, it's like we've well, how, wonder, how wonderful Fidele is yeah, and they, that quality that just like it draws them. And it's like, well, I, they, and they acknowledge it too. It's like, I've known you. I think it's the acknowledgement that's, that's noteworthy because they say like, well, I've known you less than a day, but I feel this deep connection. I feel to connected you. to like, you. Like there is a connection. I'm going to call you brother. And there's a, what, and it could be, okay. it could just be the So innate, is that a nobility otherness or is that an undeniable relation of family? Like a sibling otherness or yeah. a sibling connection. I think connection. they're both at play here. Yeah. That's why they're two separate yeah. post So there is this idea out there which we will see all, like through all of all of the entirety of literature we will have scenes of mothers leaving and then the children and the mothers instantly recognize each other. Yeah. So that happens in Shakespeare even. Yes. Yeah. Like in this play. Well, no, but you were talking mothers specifically. Yeah. That, that happens in yeah. Shakespeare. So but, there's yeah. all of these times where you haven't seen someone in 30 years and instantly recognizing them. Um, you haven't seen this person since your birth. Instantly recognizing them because well, of the familial the, uh, yeah. connection. And I think it's an, like a, there's an undeniable want for the connection of family in a person. Mm-hmm. We also want to think even if you don't like your family, having a family, you have a family you love that you will never, like, there's an undeniable connection there between you and your daughter. Well, yeah, but that's different. And you would like to believe that even if you were separated for 20 years by circumstance, she would still know who you were, no matter what. Well, I mean, I'm not going to change much in 20 years. You grayer, potter, belly. No, I've been losing weight. I'd say you'd lose more hair, but... Can't do much more of that. Bell's Wait. gone been wrong. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's pretty much happened. But no, I get I get exactly what you're going with there. The... the But it's a, in this play, it actually seems almost a more supernatural familial because connection. there's no way that Imogen would have memories of her brother. Because no, they were stolen they were before, stolen she, before was born. she was born. No, but her and her brothers would have no would recollection have... of her. But there's no recognition. There's no way they can recognize right. but each But there's the, always the hope that your blood would call out to your blood. That you would recognize and understand. We see it with cousins. Like in these plays, cousins all of a sudden figure out who they are. Or, and they, and or, they, they do feel like there's a weird thing with Cymbeline when they're finally all reunited. And he's he's happy again. They're all together. Yeah. Uh, so, although I feel like it's weird that this um, connection does not extend to Cymbeline. It does, because, though. I mean, it does a little bit because he does it's meet these to, men and he says... He you know, feels drawn to them. Drawn to but them, that's so Cymbeline that to them, not them to Cymbeline. They feel it towards their brother they, sister. They, they feel it towards Imogen. They don't necessarily feel it towards Cymbeline. True. And then I love that we, it tries to feel the same way with Cymbeline going to Fidelia and going, you look very familiar. It's like, yeah, it's your fucking daughter with the short hair. It's, your, it's like, your daughter with wearing a fucking disguise, you moron. Yeah, I put on jeans. Get your shit together. I got pants instead of a dress, dipshit. 
How did you recognize me? Because it is you. You're just wearing different clothes. Look, if Lois Lane I put on these the fucking Groucho Marx glasses, you asshole. Can't figure out the difference between Clark Kent and Superman. I mean, that's just a pair of glasses. Well, that's also demeanor and hold everything on, else, too. On. You didn't change your demeanor, I think. No. Well, I don't have it. No, but Clark Kent has a completely different demeanor, demeanor than Right, than I Superman. forgot, I forgot. I forgot. But no, it is also stupid at the same time. Like, it's some glasses. Yeah. But he does carry himself in a different way and everything yeah. like that. And yeah. that can make a difference when you're looking at someone. If yeah. you don't ever forget, don't talk to uh, to Ryan about Superman. Don't talk to my husband about Batman. You won't go home. Just don't do it. And it's funny because I'm not as big of a Superman fan as I could be. But it is fun to argue with your husband. Have been. No, I'm, 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 I knew you before I knew my husband. You would argue Superman with me before I knew Chris. Yeah, but that's because you tried to say stupid things. Like that I don't like him. Um, let's go to some of our Who is Brian? The Permapins. Oh, Permapins. Language. Do you have anything for language? I I didn't overly know. Nothing Nothing no. really snuck out at me there, on this one. No, you know I will what? say there are a lot of asides. There are. That was a little Well, And yes, Second Lord. Well, beyond Second Lord, also the Friar. Well, there's no friar. Well, you know, he's the, he's the apothecary or the doctor. The bad, bad um, friar, has a Cornelius. Lot. He drive like a lot of backstory is told through gossip and asides. Yeah, well, that's that's the that's the that's the way we're getting our exposition in this one. There's no like captain's exposition meeting out in the middle of the field for a so scene to tell us there is what happened. A lot. We a get a lot, lot of, of like like doctor saying shit or or whatnot. Um, the one thing I did notice is that, you know, we are standard ianthometer or prose throughout the whole thing, except for the dream sequence. When Posthumus sees his father and mother and brothers, <laughs> they speak in a really weird. And Jupiter. Yeah. Are they speaking in tetrameter? They, it, it changes line by line. It's a very strange pattern almost open um, verse for this from stiller seats we came our parents and us twain that's striking in our country's cause fell bravely and were slain that's rhyming couplets yeah but it's a weird meter um but it's it's noticeably different when they get involved it's um yeah it sounds like a rhyming couplet with a blank verse yeah there but there's there's definitely yeah, a meter to it um, my I think my favorite line of the whole play though is uh, all in this dream sequence. Thanks, Jupiter. I don't know why that strikes me as funny, but all right. Well, then other 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 perma pins. Um. Yeah. So it's we have adaptations. adaptations. Um. To my knowledge, although yeah, to my knowledge, no. Uh, no YA adaptations. No YA adaptations. No YouTube adaptations. No YouTube adaptations. Right. Although I should have brought this up last year. Apparently there is a there is a web series called Titus and Dronicus. Oh no. <sighs> that I have not Titus and Ronicus? And Dronicus. Oh, they did it wrong then. It should be Dronicus. I know, I agree. Um but there there are several Literary web series that incorporate multiple Shakespeare plays, and I feel like this one may slip into those slightly. So, 
1982 is a good BBC adaptation of this play. So if I'm going to throw out there, Ethan Hawke did a couple yes. of Shakespeare's. Five years ago, he did this one. No. Yes. It was like 19 years ago. No, it was 2014. I thought it was 2000. No. I thought he did it right after Hamlet. No, he did it like five years ago. He did so, Cymbeline. Mia it, Jovovich plays the queen. Wasn't that, yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Okay. Yeah, no, it was, was only saying, five years. Because so, Anton Yelchin's in it. So, Ethan Hawke. Before he died, like he's super young. Before he passed away, Anton Yelchin was in it because he plays Cloten. Which is terror. It's sad to me. I can't watch it now because I love Anton Yelchin and I can't watch him be a dickhead like that. S- And uh, Dakota Johnson, is that the girl from Fifty Shades? Yeah. She plays Imogen. Okay. I'm okay with that. Ed Harris plays Cymbeline. So, Ethan Hawke got together... And And he plays Jacobo in this. Is it modern? Uh, yes. Oh, that's a... It's set in the context of urban gang warfare. Ethan Hawke tried to set up a Kenneth Branagh-style Shakespeare thing where he was updating things, and he really didn't get a whole lot done. He did Hamlet in, like, the year 2000, and he did this in 2014. Yeah, I really thought this one came out sooner. Oh, Clear, no. Clearly you have the internet in front of you, and I'm not arguing with you. I just I had to, to look it up. I had to look it up because I didn't realize it was only five years ago. I thought it was a little bit older than I that. I remember but... him coming out of obscurity... And being like, hey, <laughs> um, here's another Shakespeare thing. And maybe in another 15 years, he'll do another one. <sighs> maybe he'll be old enough for Lear at that point. No, but, he's still got another 30 years before he's old enough years. for Lear. But his, I've got 30 years before I enjoyed his for Lear. Hamlet. I know a lot of people didn't. I liked it. I mean, it was better than Branagh's. Eventually, we'll get to doing Hamlet. And I'm going to challenge us in that month to watch as many adaptations of Hamlet. Okay, we'll, we'll, all, we've all read it a fucking boatload of times. So, so I've been in it multiple times. Here's the thing. I I would love to do that episode. I think that episode is for when we finish everything else we've got up on Fine. the board. I'm just uh, saying. Mackers, Mackers is more important than Hamlet. I mean. Culturally and everything. I, regardless, I think that Hamlet is, is the is I think there are multiple shows that we have not even touched yet. That I think would make absolutely fantastic standalones. Hey, we're each going to watch either a bunch of adaptations of this, or we're each going to individually watch one adaptation and come to the table. What I'm saying with Hamlet, and even with Macbeth, if... Hamlet gets put on a pedestal that doesn't deserve it. Fine. I don't care about that. What I'm saying is, the plays that we've read 7,000 times, or we've acted in a fuck ton... We tend to walk into these like, eh, know it. But if we took the time to, instead of rereading it, which the we've four, already well, done, the, hell, the four, you're not the, getting anything new by reading yeah. the same words in the same black and white that you've always read them in. The, the four Do plays, something different. Yeah, the four Watch plays we have in the tra- tragedy column are probably four of the plays I know best. Right, so watch a different version. Oh yeah, no, watch, I agree. Watch what I know that with Macbeth, I made you watch the Polanski one a ton. Oh yeah, I've seen. No, well, I've no seen so reason. many versions of of Mackers. So watch Ron. Oh no, I've seen Ron. Actually, Ron. It's not. It's not Ron. It's Throne of Blood. Throne of Blood. Ron is Lear. Might be. 
I can't remember now off the top of my head. But yeah, Throne of Blood is my curse. I want to challenge when we get there. Even Taming of the Shrew. I want everybody to watch Scotland PA when we go to do Maggers. Okay. Well, then Hamlet, everybody's got to watch Slings and Arrows, and we'll just go from there. I love Slings and Arrows. Great show. But yes, no, so yeah, Ethan Hawke did this. Um, But if you really want to watch a a better version, I mean, Ethan Hawke played Yakimo, so it can't even be that good. Of course, I haven't been impressed with Ethan Hawke since Gattaca? Uh, Great Expectations. I can't say that I've watched that, but I really... I was waiting for him to be, it could have been better. I really don't like Dickens all that much. Mm, Does it hurt to be wrong? No, Dickens was paid by the word. It's right to hate him. Many people were paid by the word. Yeah, but Dickens Dickens really stretched that. Nah, he just survived. Great Expectations is one of his shortest novels. Yeah, but I still... Not a Dickens fan. So here's the thing. Not even Nicholas. Everybody was paid by the word back in that day. His still manages to stick around. I'm not arguing in favor of reading Dickens. I'm saying that there's probably something to that. I think we should dredge up next podcast, Penny Dreadfuls. Mm. Anyway, but there is a version where, uh, with Richard Johnson, Helen Mirren, where Helen Mirren plays Imogen from 1982. It's the BBC version. Marvelous. Um, And Helen Mirren is, as always, amazing. And so that's worth a watch. Um, A lot of radio versions of it. Uh, Like Boris Karloff's? Yeah, Boris Karloff. Um, But there are from, what was it? From, in in the UK, BBC Broadcast Productions. There are radio broadcast productions from the BBC in 1934, 1951, 1957, 1986, 1996, and 2006. What? That's how many BBC radio productions there are in this Hot damn. It, however, is a wonderful snapshot of how yeah. often it probably gets produced. Um, six times. Six times that Oregon shakes. Last time was in 2013. Mm. Not bad. It's coming Ooh. up then. Actually, out no, I before. think 2013 includes... Oh, includes this recent When they run. started their... First operatic adaptation was in 1894, because Shakespeare's operatic adaptations, they happen a lot. Currently, actually, the Toledo Opera is doing Mackers. So, or the the at the Valentine. There's I right. didn't know that when Mackers is, is currently being performed. Yeah, like this weekend. Might be this weekend. But yeah, the oh, opera the operatic version of Mackers. Oh. I actually I think I know it was last weekend for sure. Might be that might be might have been like this past weekend get, as well. I know somebody who texts there, so I'll have to go with them to find out. I've been wanting to see it. Like it looks it looks real good. Six times their costuming is amazing. Puts it on par with Measure for Measure, which has also been done six times, and just under Henry Fortu and Richard III, which have only been done seven times. Nice. Which Richard III, I still always, I think, I expect to be done more. Mm -hmm. So it's not super popular. And I can understand that, because if you don't know a lot of Shakespeare, it's just kind of a weird life. It's in the Apocrypha. It's a... Is it? 
yeah. think it is. I think okay. it's an apocryphal play. Yeah, it it was at the very least lumped in with the a lot of the apocryphal stuff in Abridged. Because they didn't... Know where to put it. Exactly. And it's not necessarily... I don't think it belongs in the apocrypha necessarily. I think it's way better than it deserves. Like, than that. Yeah. I think that it's going to be a hard press for me to get in my community theater to let me put it on, though. Because they're going to look at you and you're going to say Cymbeline and they're going to go, what the fuck? When I said Midsummer, and they were like, ooh, why are you messing with Shakespeare? Because there's an audience for it. But let's... We ran a theater company for fucking ten years based off of Shakespeare. Let's let's go to... Poorly and into the ground. Yeah, but we still did it. The most important pen. Who's... Who's Friar Lawrence? Because there are two options. There are. Cornelius. Cornelius or Sonia. Okay, so Pisanello definitely could be. So Cornelius is the most like, oh look, he brings drug, drug makes sleep. Well, Cornelius, Cornelius is the apothecary. Yeah. So for me, I read this going, which one is the origin story for Friar Lawrence? And I said, I can, I can see this falling in one of two ways. For the All Friars or one storyline. I also remember that the the Friar Lawrence and the. Apothecary are not actually the same person. I know that's what I'm saying. That's why I say I'm I'm leaning towards Pizzanello. I'm leaning so, that way so too. So the two possibilities here are: Friar Lawrence started out as Cornelius. Started out as this, the apothecary. Started out as the apothecary. He had this drug. He gave it to the queen because better than poison. And then this whole thing went down with Imogen, and he went, "Okay, that was weird." And then he's talking to these two kids in Verona, and he remembers, "Oh." Oh, this this potion that was that worked really well that one time. So let's do it again. And then it goes horribly wrong. And he goes, "Okay, well, not doing the sleep potion again because it never shows up again." It doesn't do the sleep so potion again. So he learns as he, he does just goes pretend along. to be dead. Yeah. So yeah, it's like let's not make you seem dead because that seems to cause catastrophe. That seems to be bad. Let's just it have you goes pretend. Poorly. Or is this like end game? No, that's uh, what she's describing. No, no, like this is—is is this? That's like the beginning of. Friday. Oh, okay. she's talking about—is this because this could be this not like this his could, origin? This could not be. This could be not. This is you turning Friar him Lawrence. into definitely Friar uh, Nick Fury, like Friar Fury. He's going. Or is this? Through. Or is this Steve Rogers? Like at the end, where he's like gone back and like you know fixed it. Yeah. A gentleman from Ver- from Verona gets up this way and is like, no, no, no. I know, I know this, how this one works. I know how this plays out. Yeah. I see this. But you can also argue. I think it's Paisanio because he's like, he knows how this shit goes down. And he's also, but he's like still kind of like schemy a little bit. And the Friar Lawrence is schemy. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely the whole like, okay, you, I'll tell these two groups of people that you're dead. I'm sure that'll work out. It'll work out fine. Because Paisanio is still kind of an idiot. And Friar Lawrence, as we know, is still kind of an idiot. So do you think... Because he hasn't... He he doesn't figure it out. Did he then go to... What? Helena? Not Helena. See, we have... What we have to do when we're all done is we have to look at all of the Shakespeare plays and we have to find where Friar Lawrence makes an appearance... And then figure out what the the Friar Lawrence is. timeline. So, so the question of the becomes, STU. The question becomes: Are we making Friar Lawrence the saga of Friar Lawrence a comedy or a tragedy? Because if it's a comedy, it starts with the worst one, which is Romeo and Juliet, and then he gets better at his job. Yes, and so and ends with Cymbeline, right? Yeah, or or 
Much Ado About Nothing, where it actually works the way yeah. he intends it to quickly. Yeah. Um, or we start there, and then he gets drunk on power, and things get worse and worse and worse no, until no. he leaves six people dead. No, 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 no. I don't know. I like both. <laughs> Stop writing John Green novels. Nope. Everybody's good. Not everybody. <laughs> Friar has Lawrence doesn't have to kiss anyone in the rain. Oh, that's Nicholas that's Sparks. Nicholas Sparks. John Green. Look, I don't know who either of them are. John Green just kills everybody. Like, that oh, that's like the dying of cancer guy, right? Mm-hmm. That that was one book, and it was one character in one book. I heard it was every character. Every character in every book. Because Nicholas Sparks does the same thing, doesn't Look, he? Look, if, if John Green had his way, that book would have ended very differently. Listen, they're all dying of cancer, and they're all kissing me, in the rain. Only Which, one person died of cancer. John John stop, Sparks, stop. Nicholas Green, whatever their name is, What they John, write the same shit. What John Green book does somebody not die in? Nobody dies in Paper Towns. Um, Abundance of Catherine's. Nobody dies in an Abundance of Catherine's. Okay. I don't, I don't know what they're saying. Nobody important dies in Turtles All the Way Down. Yeah, but somebody dies. Okay. Somebody dies. Well, the plot is centered around a murder that happens before... Still death. ...the novel begins. The kids have to interact with death? Yeah. Because yep. that's a reality of yep. life. Still... Oh, absolutely it's a reality of life. Okay, well, Absolutely. John Sparks but I'm just guy. Saying, okay, but it writes fine. a lot of Whatever. books that really deal with that reality of life. What about Will Grayson? Will Grayson? Is that John? Nobody. Yeah, nobody dies. Nobody dies in Will and Grace. No, Will Grayson. There's just that. In the corner. There's just that Nick Offerman's wife and that other guy. Nobody doesn't let it snow. Hmm. All right. All right. We got a couple. But looking for Alaska destroyed me. I don't. I don't know what you just said. I. F- Got to that to the death in that book at like three in the morning while working at the Quality Inn, training Zach Navar. Hey, you know what? Job. You know what? This isn't the Nicholas Sparks, whatever guy. John, John Green. All right. Uh, so what? Kissing in the Rain well podcast. Then, well, then what podcast is it? This is the Shakespeare podcast. Who have you been? I've been Ryan Halfell. I've been Beth Roars. I've been Cassie Greenley. I've been Chase Greenley. <laughs> I've been obnoxious. Uh, so have I. <laughs> Cheers. That's how you force close this show. <laughs> yes. Say good night, John Boy. Good night, John Boy. And you can say your name. Go ahead, Cassie. You can be fifth. I'm fine. <laughs> you heard that? That's fine, Greenley over there. <laughs> fine, Greenley. Hot, uh, hot damn! Ties at all of you. With her, with her husband, odd dicks, Greenley. <laughs> dicks. <laughs>